Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series in 1 Corinthians, Christ Culture Church. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. All right, good morning. All right, well, before we get into our new series today on the book of 1 Corinthians, I thought I would share with you a little bit about just random thoughts on the orders of service. That's not actually random. It's pretty thought out. Um, Because some of you are still walking in. You're like, wait a second, what's going on? Pastor Dave is preaching a lot earlier than normal. I would tell you this. If it were up to me, we'd start church at 10 o'clock and I would just be up here with the Bible teaching. Like that, but but I realize you're not all here at 10 o'clock. And here's the reason why. I have a very biblical reason for this. Any time that somebody preaches in the Gospels or in the Bible, Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra stands up and preaches, all this stuff. Anytime people preach, there's usually two responses to that preaching in Scripture. Almost always. It's either persecution, so somebody gets rocks around them, they get stoned or whatever like that, um, or it's worship. It's one of the two. It, it, it's, it, you go all through, all through the Bible and somebody preaches and there's either you know, uh, somebody gets persecuted or somebody worships. And so there's sort of this embedded in Scripture, this sort of like order, right? Revelation and response. Revelation and response. Well, one of the things we know that worship sort of warms us up in the morning to being in God's presence. And so we're, 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 Jeff, our worship leader, and I have been toying with the order of service a little bit, so we're moving preaching up just slightly, right, up by one song, and we want to have a little bit more significant time of response at the end, so we're going to have three songs at the end. So you, you guys are all used to this. After the first song, many of, after the sermon, there's one song, and then many of you are like, okay, grab my stuff, time to go, right? There's going to be three songs, and I'm going to be done uh, same amount of time preaching. I'm not going to preach an extra 20 minutes just because I'm up here earlier. Um, You know, it'll be kind of the same amount of time. So I just want to give you guys that and see where right now we're toying around with this and seeing if this works. We've prayed a lot about it, and we're like, okay, we're ripping the Band-Aid off. Today's the first Sunday. We're going to give that a try. So are you all with me on that one? Yes? Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so we are getting into a brand new series today, a brand new series on the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, Many of you are with us all summer long as we traverse through Moses' story. And uh, there's still, I still just this last week recorded another podcast to throw up on the podcast because of your questions. So if you still have questions on that, keep emailing me and we'll still keep uh, responding to the Moses series. There's so much there that we didn't cover it's, it's all good stuff. Before we get into it, though, I'm going to be saying some things like I'm going to just be talking about this guy, Paul. And I got to thinking as I'm writing, I'm just writing, oh, and Paul says this, and Paul says that, and Paul says this. And I got to thinking, well, what if some of you are newer to church and you don't know who this guy, Paul, is? So I just wanted to give you Paul's own little mini biography that he gives in the Bible. Paul is an author, by the way. He's not just an author. He's a Pharisee among Pharisees. This guy is a strong Jewish teacher of the law, and he has this miraculous conversion when he comes to follow Jesus. And so Paul ends up planting all these churches, being really prolific about it. And he plants all these churches around the Roman, ancient Roman world. And he, um, 
talks about himself in Galatians 1, 11 through 17. So if you're in the book of 1 Corinthians now, just stay there. We're just going to look at this verse for a second to talk about who is Paul, and then we're going to get into it from there. Galatians 1, 11 through 17 says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many in my own age, um, among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach to him among the Gentiles, preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. So this is Paul's own little mini story. Who is Paul? He's a young man, Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted the church. The book of Acts, if you were to read the book of Acts, you see one of the big um, persecution things that you see right in the, in the beginning is the stoning of this guy named Stephen, who, who preached Stephen preached to the Jews all this Old Testament. He used the entire Old Testament text, and he used a lot of Moses' story to show that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's, and it's finally when, when Stephen proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, they all threw rocks at him and killed him. And there's this little editorial note that says that, that, that Paul was there watching over and approving of his death. This is the guy who we're reading this is the, the guy, like as we read the book of 1 Corinthians, this is the man. The man who thought he was doing a good religious work by helping the Jews kill Christians in the first century. This was his own act of zealousness, is what he calls it, that he was zealous for the Lord. And, and in so doing, we had to kill these heretics, these people who were perverting the, the, the old Torah. These people were perverting it by saying Jesus is God. And then on his way to Damascus, many of you know this story. Jesus shows up to him. He was on his way there to kill people. He gets knocked off his donkey. He's blind for three days. He has to go see a person named Ananias. And then Paul even says in his own story, he didn't even go back to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles like Peter and James and John, he didn't go back to meet with them, but he went out into Arabia. And so uh, we know from other works of, of Paul and other stories that Paul spent three years in Arabia learning about Jesus. And he spent time doing this. So basically, Paul's spending those three years relearning the Old Testament scriptures in light of the Messiah coming. So that's the guy. So when I say Paul wrote this, this is who we're talking about. This guy who thought he was being religious but was actually working against God. And embedded within the Paul story is the fact that he did really bad things. He persecuted people. He hurt people. He lent his voice to the killing of many. And he thought he was doing good as a result. But now he's turning that all around. So was now get into the book, well, kind of into the book of 1 Corinthians. That's who wrote the book. But now, 
where is Corinth? Some of you have done trips around the Holy Land and, and, and around Greece, and you may have been there. And so I actually want to throw a quick picture on a map um, of, uh, of where Corinth is. I know this is, you're like, what is this, geography class in school? I know. You're like, maps, I don't get it. All right, Corinth is that little place in between the two, um, and it is a port town. And so why was Paul, in, Paul going to a port town? Well, Paul was a tent maker. And what do tent makers do? They don't just make tents, but they repair sails. And they do all sorts of giant linen work, things that need to be strong. They do all kinds of sewing. It's not uh, lucrative work, and it's not actually honorable work. It's just this like low totem pole work. But why does Paul do this? Paul does this because he wants to be strategic about reaching the gospel. Who needs tents? Who needs sails? Well, military and merchants. Those are the two groups. And Paul is reaching these people by going to places like Corinth. Because as you go to Corinth, you're reaching people who are traveling all over the known world. So this is what Paul wants to do is reach these people. And then another cool, this has nothing to do with the book of 1 Corinthians. I just ran across this in, in my study and found this was really cool. They would take their boats and put them up on huge rollers. And instead of sailing all the way back around, they would just roll them straight through the middle of the land there. Like, how crazy is that in the first century? That's insane. So they make these like trailers and things like that and get oxen and people and they just pull the boats all the way to the other side and set sail on the other side. That's just crazy. But Corinth is also a place, anytime you have a port city, you're going to have things that come along with that. High volumes of prostitution. Very, it was very normal in the Corinth uh, church even to have to deal with prostitution. There was not just the Roman emperor being worshipped there, but the Egyptian cult of Isis was being worshipped there. And since it was such a multinational town, there was gods from all over the world set up all around Corinth. So this was not just like a one-god town. This was a multi-idol town. This was... Uh, the, the culture of Corinth was a philosophical culture where the philosophers were trying to always bring you into their ideas. So this is where Paul goes and plants a church. He looks at that and goes, there's no Christians there. Awesome. That's where I want to go. He looks at it and goes, there's lots of prostitution. There's lots of false gods. There's lots of all this stuff there. He goes, that's perfect. We need to go tell them about Jesus. This is what Paul does. So I love that. So Paul, you know, ex-murderer becoming a believer, and then all of a sudden, uh, now Paul goes into this place where the world is just looking really, really dark and wants to tell them about Jesus. And we get into, before we get into the very first verse, I feel like there's so much intro work in 1 Corinthians, and there will be more and more and more. What is this letter all about? Well, Paul deals with so much the church. Actually, there's three letters to the Corinthians. We do not have the first one. What we're reading in 1 Corinthians, you'll hear Paul say, in my previous letter, we don't have that one. It'd be so cool to find it, but we don't have it. And so we call this one 1 Corinthians. So Paul is dealing with letter of these things that are happening in the church that people are writing to him about. They're saying, hey, um, Paul, we got some stuff going on, man. We don't know what to do with all this. 
Paul had planted the church. He's now in Ephesus writing back to this church. The story is found actually in Acts 18. If any of you are interested in some of the background work, go over there and check it out. Paul planted the church in Acts 18, and then he moves to Ephesus, uh, and then he's there for two years. So Paul now had been physically away from this church for two years, and he's writing to them basically this. And the best way I could tell you is giving an analogy. I played baseball growing up. Did anybody else play baseball growing up? Anybody? Nobody here played baseball. Okay, a couple of you played baseball. It was like, it's America's pastime. Some of you who should have played. Yeah, so I, I remember I was always on my coach, uh, Pete, was always the all-star coach, and I just got on his team the first year, and he basically said, this team goes, I mean, he was intense. We're like little kids. He's all, this team goes to the City Series, this team gets on the all-stars. People on this team will get on the all-stars. You have to work harder than other teams. You gotta, and so we were intense. And we ended up getting really, really good. And he, this guy, I don't know how he did it, but every single year he kind of picked the same guys. He's probably greasing palms somewhere. I don't know. Um, he always picked the same kids. And, and we always were like going in the all-stars, going to the city series, going to the playoffs, doing all these things. And I just remember one, one time we played this team that we should have easily beat just easily beat. But we kept throwing the ball away. We kept missing ground balls. We kept just, we just had a terrible day. And we, it's like we couldn't play baseball. It's like we were kids again. And so Pete called us all back together. Coach Pete called us all back together the next day. And he said, and we had practice every day. Not everybody, people had practice like two days a week. We had practice every day. And he goes, okay, this week's going to be all about the fundamentals. That's what this week's about. We're going, to be gra- we're going to be fielding ground balls the proper way until your, your hands bleed. <laughs> You're going to be running bases until your legs want to fall off. You're going to be throwing and catching. And when you throw it to the person, they're going to catch it right at their chest. And it's going to be perfect. And we're going to do that until you're sick of it. And we did all week long. We just did the basics. Nobody was doing advanced, no one was learning curveballs, no one was learning tactics. We just did exactly the right thing all the time. We went back to basics for one week, and we played like we were champions the rest of the time because we went back to fundamentals. So here's, that, that's the analogy I'm giving back to the book of 1 Corinthians. When Paul left, they were playing like an all-star team. This church was phenomenal. They're reaching their world. They're doing incredible things. Now Paul's getting all these reports and all these letters like, what is happening in the Corinthian church? What's going on with this place? It's back to fundamentals, guys. We, we need to be fielding ground balls till it hurts. Like We need to get back to the basics until you're doing that again because something's wrong. And this is what Paul's doing now. He's addressing the brokenness of the church. One, a, a theologian named Bruce Winter says, Paul was responding to the problems which were created by the influence of secular ethics or social conventions in this Christian community. They have crept into the church, um, many imperceivably, and throughout the passage of time. So one of the things that we will see in the book of 1 Corinthians is that this culture that existed all around the Corinthian church was slowly creeping in and affecting their worship. It was slowly creeping in and affecting their community. It was slowly creeping in and breaking them from the inside out. When Paul left, all was well. And now two years later, he's like, what's wrong with you people? 
So 1 Corinthians 1.1. Finally, we get to the Bible, right? 1 Corinthians 1.1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Okay, we're going to pause right there. We have to go slow here just at the start, and then we're going to go faster as we go later. Just in verse 1, Paul is using such a rare assortment of words, and we know that because we have all these other letters that Paul has written. So what Paul's doing in verse 1 is he's trying to absolutely remind this church, remember, I am your spiritual authority. I mean, when, he, when you begin comparing Paul's words here in other letters, you see other things like Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Like, you, you might think, well, what are the difference between these? The very first one, Paul, in Corinthians, he's saying, called to be an apostle uh, of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Like, he's saying, I'm called and I'm an apostle of Jesus, and it's by God's will. And then in the Philippian church, he's like, hey, we're servants of Jesus. He's using way less strong words. To all God's, you're all God's holy people. We love you. It's like a love letter. He calls himself and Timothy servants of Christ. He doesn't throw the word apostle around. He doesn't need to. He doesn't just have this, like, have to say, this is God's will as he writes to them. He just writes to them, and they know because they're already submitted to Paul's authority. 1 Thessalonians, here's just one more quick example. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God, the Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. So you see these other introductions, and they're kind, they're gentle, they're nice. But in 1 Corinthians, it's like, boy, you guys have gone a little astray. You've gone a little bit far. I'm the apostle that Jesus sent by God's will. You better listen to me. That's how verse 1 starts of this letter. So it starts probably a little harsh. (laughs) Now, Paul absolutely believes in the priesthood of all believers. He believes and he writes this. He's the one who takes it from the Old Testament and says, this is what Jesus is trying to do. Make all of you priests in God's kingdom and I want you to be priests in his kingdom. But he also believes that there's some who are set apart from that priesthood to be leaders and overseers. And he'll talk about it in his other letters, deacons and and elders and things like that. People who are called to be overseers of the priesthood. And what Paul is saying is, that is me. I have spiritual authority in this place. I have spiritual authority in this church. God, created, God used me to, to plant this church. I'm like a father to you. So you better listen up. And that's how it starts. And I understand this because, you know, you, you don't want to abuse the spiritual authority. I don't think that's what Paul's doing. But I understand it because in some sense, God has given that to me a little bit. I have to oversee pastors in our denomination who are becoming pastors and help oversee that and steward it and make sure that these people are like actually going to be people who submit to spiritual authority themselves and the kind of people who could lead churches. It's a huge responsibility, which I am like constantly shaken about, right? Because I'm like, how do I do this? And these people are listening to me on this. And I'm like, oh Lord, I I need your help. I love what Watchman Nee says about spiritual authority. He says, only those who are subject to spiritual authority can be in spiritual authority. And Paul was subject to it. He submitted 
to Christ and he submitted to other people in spiritual authority. So in Paul's mind, he has to be bold in his writing. But spiritual authority is not just a bold move of power. It's not just winning a popularity contest. It's not exerting your own power and force. The kind of spiritual authority that Jesus talked about was the one who gives up of himself to serve. That's what Jesus talks about with real spiritual authority. is the one who becomes less in order to help other people go further. That's what the real spiritual authority is. The one who pours themselves out like an offering. The point that he's making is while the word apostle sounds like some sort of authoritarian title, that Paul's actually here to serve and to help them grow. Your first fill-in today is an apostle in Jesus' kingdom is one who's willing to become the least of everyone and to serve. I've seen in the, in the Christian TV world, there's a whole Christian TV world, some of you are very aware of this, people use this term apostle to raise money. And it's like, dude, I don't think you know what the word means. Like, that's, that is not right. <laughs> you should not be doing that. They use that word to say, I've got a closer relationship that, to God than you, and so you better listen to me. It almost becomes cult-like if you're not careful. So this word apostle is not something just to throw around. It's something that's very important to use in the right context. Submitting to spiritual authority is so important in your walk with Jesus. Good spiritual authority will hold you accountable. It will challenge you to go deeper in your walk with Jesus. A good spiritual authority in your life and your walk will help you through the toughest times. Even, I mean, it doesn't have to be a pastor. It could just be another believer in the church that you say, like, I'm going to listen to this person. This person's been a believer a lot longer than I have. I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I want to replicate their life because they've got a life worth imitating. That's what good spiritual authority is. But what bad spiritual authority looks like, we all know what that looks like. I mean, if you've watched the news at all in the last 10 years, you've seen some horrible examples of spiritual authority. We've seen sex scandals, not just in the Catholic Church, but also in the Protestant Church. You've seen people abuse the finances of the church in crazy ways. You've seen people um, even just abuse people spiritually. Make, like, you've seen Christian leaders like, almost turn cult-like and make people listen to everything they say and do and kind of take away their ability to have free will. This, this is abuse of spiritual authority, and it is not right. Abuse of spiritual authority leaves a debris trail a thousand miles long, even just anger, and it's like, you've got to follow me or else, you know, you're, everything's going to fall apart. That's abuse of spiritual authority. So point one, I mean, here's, we have to learn to surrender and submit to spiritual authority. So let's, let's keep going. We have to get to verse two at some point today. This is why I do extra podcasts, by the way. I have so much to say on the Bible. Okay. To the church of God, this is verses 2 through 9. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace that's been given to you in Christ, in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched 
enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into the fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's look at verse 2 here. Paul says, to those sanctified in Christ. Now, I, I read this, and knowing the whole letter, and having taught this letter before, I read this, and I, I just got to thinking, like, I think Paul might be more, um, uh, Paul's being so nice. Because to those sanctified in Christ means to God's holy people, or to the saints of Corinth. And these people are, when we read further, you're going to find out are not being saintly. There, there's prostitution that's crept its way into the church. There, we're going to deal with a, a, a guy that the church approved of having an affair with his stepmother. I know. It gets wild in 1 Corinthians. And the people suing each other inside the church. I mean, all sorts of things. People picking up different divisions and different characters who they follow and all that stuff. But Paul here, instead of saying, you are so unholy, you're the worst church out there, instead of doing that, he's reminding them that their holiness is a gift from God. Something that, that they got for free from Jesus, from shedding his blood on the cross. And the next fill-in is Paul wants to remind the church that they are called to be holy. They're called to be holy. They're called to be set apart. They're the sanctified people, the set-apart ones from this world. Just as a reminder, church, you are called to be holy. And this is what Paul is saying to them. We're called to be set apart. Paul wants his church united. And he even uses this phrase, their Lord and ours. It's a phrase that Paul will use subtly to, to show in one of the big themes of 1 Corinthians that we need to be a united church. We can't let the influences from our secular world creep in and implode us from the inside out that we need to be a church united in Christ. Paul wants to remind the church, and this is your third point, Paul wants to remind the church that they need to live a life in unity with Jesus and one another. But what is the source of this unity? On the screen, um, we're going to put 1 Corinthians 1 through 9 up there. And I just want to show it to you. Um, oh, I didn't, I just, so just keep going through it. Paul called to be the apostle of Christ Jesus. See that in yellow. Keep going to the next one. To the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then you can skip down. Lord Jesus, grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus. And uh, may grace given to you in Christ Jesus. Keep going. <laughs> Uh, for him, okay, keep going. It's Christ among you. God confirming the testimony about Christ among you. Wait for Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Nine times in nine verses, Paul will use the phrase either Christ, Christ Jesus, or the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you think Paul is settling this entire letter on? Yeah, Jesus, right? Who do you think he wants the church to be united in? Jesus. That's right. Nowhere else, if you were to look in all the other intros that Paul does to all the other letters, he doesn't write like this to other people. He's writing to this church because they've been divided. Because they, they're starting to figure out where their allegiances go. And Paul gets into that in the very next section. So for those 
first nine verses, he says, be unified in Christ Jesus. Nine times in nine verses, be unified in Jesus Christ. And then verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some, of you, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? And this is where I think Paul gets mad. So I'm going to read this in a mad tone, okay? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispius, I don't know how to say his name, and Gaius, so that no one could say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized, he's remembering now, um, senior moment. I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Before that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ, I'm telling you, senior moments here. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Paul is absolutely concerned about the unity of this church. He's 100% concerned with it, and that comes right across in the first few verses of this. Paul is mad. He's like, what is it with following your pet preachers? I, you, you should, yes, listen to your, the preachers, but you follow Jesus. And, and you, right here at Riverside, you don't follow Dave. You'd be in a world of trouble. Yeah, amen. I don't know who said that, but <laughs> preach it, sister. You don't follow me. I mean, I might be able to articulate the Bible in a decent way that you understand and you go deeper on. And God's called me to that, but I follow Jesus. Go follow Jesus. Don't follow me. And this is what Paul's saying. He's like, was I crucified for you? No. Don't have all these pet preachers. I mean, fine. I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Listen to whatever preacher you could go deeper on. But what this church was doing is starting division, saying, well, you might listen to Paul, but I listen to Cephas, who's Peter, by the way. Paul likes to use his, other, his Cephas name rather than Peter. You might listen to him, but I listen over here. And so I'm only going to listen to what Cephas says. I'm not going to listen to what Paul says. Or I only listen to Apollos, who is an early guy who helped, helped plant this church. I'm only going to listen to Apollos. I'm not going to listen to this. And Paul's like, dude, was I crucified for you? Is Christ divided? Whose name were you baptized into? Your next feeling is one of the main tasks of the church is unity with each other through Jesus Christ. This is almost impossible in a secular, divided world that we live in right now. And it's one of the miracles of the church when we are united together. It's one of the miracles of Jesus even today that in, even in an election year that we could be united together. It doesn't mean we all believe the same things politically. It doesn't mean we all believe the same things about our world. It doesn't mean we all take the exact same positions, but we are united in the fact that Jesus died for us and that Jesus wants us to form our community in him. That we don't form our community in some political idea. That we don't form our community in some other ideas or who we're going to elect or what we're going to vote on. We don't form our community in that. We form our community in who Jesus is. 
That's how our community is formed. Jesus would say, Jesus would talk about this as one of his deepest prayers. Jesus invited his disciples into unity. And you have to remember that he had a zealot and a tax collector in his discipleship ranks. People who would normally, the zealot would normally want to kill the tax collector. He had somebody who would betray him. He had Judas. And this is Jesus praying now for us. John 17, you don't have to flip your Bibles there, but it'll be up on the screen. 20 through 23. And this is Jesus praying for you and me. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they might be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Well, I don't want you to miss the radical nature of what Jesus is praying here. Jesus is saying, Lord, just as you and I exist in Trinitarian fellowship, I want the church to have fellowship with me in that same way. I want the church to be that united with me. I want them to experience the Trinitarian fellowship that we have, God. I want them to experience that with me and then with each other. I want the church to experience that deep level of fellowship because when people walk in here, we are people from all sorts of walks of life with all different perspectives on all kinds of different things. But when people walk in here and see that it is possible for a few hundred people to be united in Jesus Christ, and that'll be such a testimony for who Jesus is, that we are surrendered to ourselves, that our positions are second, that our, our, our politics are fourth and fifth and whatever, but first is fellowship with Jesus, and that is huge. Jesus wants you and I to experience loving others in the same way that God loves us. He wants us to experience that. He wants us to experience what it's like having the same mind. Not to be brainwashed or anything, but the same worship is what I'm talking about here. He wants us to experience being loved by the church in the same way Jesus loves us. Jesus wants us to experience this powerful unity in profound ways. In this way, in this prayer that Jesus has, and in the body of the church, Jesus rescues you from loneliness, isolation, and alienation. He wants you to experience community that is totally centered on the love of Jesus. And this is why Paul is mad at the church, because he knows this. He wants people to walk in the doors of that church and experience this crazy unity that the church has. But in Corinth, division was working its way into the church through all sorts of different avenues and, and ways. So Paul writes all this about 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. Many of us have this rosy picture. I've heard so many people say, especially in seminaries, like, oh, I just wish we could go back to the days of the early church. Like, really? Which one? Hopefully not the Corinthian church. But just 20 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, you see a church that was built in his name doing well, and then all of a sudden fighting over who they follow all of a sudden fighting over different behaviors, all of a sudden not living the holy lives that they were called to live. And this is why Paul is so upset in the letter. 
and why we continue to see people taking on the value system of the world and overlaying it onto the value system of God's kingdom. That's what was happening in the church. And Paul will repeatedly hammer on this through this letter, and we're going to look at all that stuff. And you know what? Here's the last villain. When you forsake spiritual authority in your life, it is easy to allow the value system of the world to infiltrate your faith. And here's what I mean by spiritual authority. Accountability. Accountability from other people in the church. When we don't allow accountability in our life, it's so easy to let the value system of the world infiltrate our faith. Lastly, what I want to end with is probably one of the greatest lines of 1 Corinthians, and it ends like this. For Christ did not send me to baptize, and, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of his power. As the band can, comes back up, I just want to wrap up by talking about this. The value of Corinth was, not based, was based on who could speak the best and most eloquently. This was all over the Corinthian world. They had the best philosophers, the best speech givers, all that stuff. People got paid for speaking well. And what Paul is saying is that is my mission is simple. I'm not here to craft the most eloquent speech, the best philosopher's wisdom. What I'm doing is, by, is simply reasserting the value of Jesus. The cross, it's not human wisdom. The cross is crazy. We believe in a Messiah who in today's term was, was a convicted felon and a guy who got the death penalty, but then who beat that through the resurrection. Don't apply human wisdom to it because it's divine wisdom. Paul's heartbeat would be that this church would be united, that it, would fall into the tra- it wouldn't fall into the trap of the popularity contest. Paul wanted a church with a heart that would beat as one. Once united in its Savior, Paul is trying to recenter them on the gospel and the utter simplicity of the cross. That Jesus took our place, that Jesus took our punishment, that Jesus makes us holy. I think what Paul is trying to remind the church of is that you've got to lay down the wisdom of this world and pick up the wisdom of the cross. So maybe you're here today and you just need to respond to this in some way through worship. And that's what we're going to do right now. As I mentioned, we are moving rapidly into an election year. There's a ton of forces that want you to be divided. That, that is just all the forces in our world today refuse to do that. Maybe you're here today and you've allowed some of the ethic of this world to creep into your heart. I want to encourage you to lay that down and pick up first the gospel, the cross. The way to be united with others is to be united in Jesus first. Don't let the divisiveness creep into this place because we know who the author of divisiveness is. The question I have for you as we wrap this up is who and what are you surrendering to? Your own voice? Your own authority? Or the voice of Jesus? Where's your allegiance to this morning? The the, the 24-hour news cycle that just will speak just nonsense words into your life until you believe it wholesale or the word of God? How are you sustained? By human words of wisdom or by laying yourself down before the cross? Divisiveness is something that lives in our hearts and in its choice. 
just as much as you've got it in there and it's weeded its way in there. And sometimes it was like, you didn't really notice. You didn't make the choice exactly, but you, you did. You went down that road and it, it creeped into your heart. You could also make the choice to lay that down. And your prayer this morning could be, God, help me to be perfectly united in you. Perfectly united in you so I could be united with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I don't just pray for River's Edge Church this morning, but I pray for the churches around the country and around the world that we might be perfectly united in you and who you are, Lord. Perfectly united in the fact that you died for us and you rose again. God, perfectly united in your will for the church. God, we believe that you are the hope of the world. That, God, we believe that other people need to experience you and have a relationship with you. And that our unity together somehow, somehow, Lord, is an evangelistic tool for this world. So use us, oh God, to be deeply united in all who you are. Lord, we love you. And I pray that there's some here today, they might need to throw some divisions away. They might need to even come to the altar and say, Lord, this, this divisive thing, rid it from my heart. So God, we pray that you would do that work too. We love you, God. And we thank you for all that you've done. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast with Pastor Dave Johnson. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.